following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. during the week someone reminded me that today is down in the calendar as Father's Day so I thought to myself hey that's a great excuse to preach about the good good father but then I thought well you know over the last three months I have come back to that topic so often maybe people are a bit fed up of that by now but then I thought wait a minute how can anyone get fed up hearing about how good our Heavenly Father is you can only be fed by hearing how good our Father is not fed up only fed in fact, knowing him is actually the food that our souls were made for. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but in every word that keeps proceeding from the Father. The message version of that verse says this, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. Now that's a beautiful picture of the way God speaks to us. It is a steady stream and like a stream, it is life-giving. The very first psalm actually declares how blessed is the person whose thoughts are continually on God's word. It says that they're like a tree planted by streams of water that bears great fruit and never withers. And that fruit actually that God desires our lives to bear is nothing short of his life. That's what Galatians 5 describes as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What a wonderful verse and what a wonderful picture of the way the world could be if we all grew more and more in such fruit. Yet we're told that such fruit doesn't come by trying harder to produce such fruit but by remaining rooted and grounded in the stream that are the words coming from the Father. Now even in the natural how a child turns out which fruit their life bears confidence or fear depends on the stream of words that they have been brought up under. It's so damaging in the natural, you know, for a child to be brought up under a stream of words that keeps finding fault with the child. The most life-giving stream of words that a child can be raised under are words which impart to that child a love that casts out the fears that would cripple their life. The most damaging stream of words that child can be raised in would be those that continually find fault with them and so strip them of their confidence. You know, if you keep picking on a child about what they could do better, you'll end up raising a child who never feels they are enough, never feels they're ready. A child who is crippled by self-consciousness. They can never appreciate who they are and what they have because their vision has been trained up to never see past who they are not and what they don't have. Which is more life-giving to my children? To keep telling them all their life that they must be more like me or to keep telling them from the day they're born that they're just like me. So which is more life-giving to a believer? Keep telling them all their lives that they should be more like God or keep telling them from the day they're born again that they are born of the very Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, now living in them. You see, the Bible does not say that you or I as believers are becoming a new creation. And that some things in our lives are becoming new. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is. 
He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, look, see, all things have become new. Now, if you remember, a few weeks ago, I asked this question. How do we know if we're beginning to see people as God sees them? The answer, we begin to speak to them with the heart of a father, not a manager. Now, listen to the difference again. A manager can give you great advice that can result in increased productivity in your life. And much church leadership in recent years has been so focused on growing the church that managerial language has almost become the norm. The result is that many of us as believers struggle to see ourselves as who we now are in Christ, who we are in the Father's eyes, because our vision is being formed by the words of people who see us primarily as workers for his kingdom rather than sons in his kingdom. A father never looks at his children primarily as workers. And Nicola and I have four wonderful children, and we didn't have those children because of a need that we had for someone to do work around the house. <laughs> we never speak to them according to their productivity, but only as the apple of our eye. A father does not value or measure his children's worth according to their performance, and that's why a father can impart what a manager cannot. He can impart a revelation of identity that transcends earthly performance. He can impart the life of a son, not the life of an employee. When you come to see that you are a Christian, not because of your new behavior, but because of your new birth, then you finally stop trying to be a Christian and start living as a child of God. The Christian life is Christ's life, the life of a much-loved son. Only knowing your loving father enables you to live as a much-loved son. No wonder when his disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to relate properly to God, he said, you must begin here. Our Father who art in heaven. What a place to begin. Can you see that Jesus was asking them to begin from the highest of heights? Our Father who art in heaven is not a statement of a goal to be reached, but an identity to be birthed from. None of those disciples, you know, then knew God as Father. Later in their lives, maybe with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they would really grow in that revelation. Yet at that time, Jesus never said to them, listen, later you can pray, our Father who art in heaven. But for now, while you're behaving so immaturely, you only get to pray, our God who art in heaven. Jesus said he only spoke the words of the Father. That's why his words imparted to people a revelation of identity that transcended their earthly performance. His words imparted his life, the life of a son, not the life of an employee. The stream of words that come from the Father's mouth declare to me who I am in his eyes. And that's why his words call us upward in Christ. To raise a child by continually telling them what they need to do in order to become someone may sound helpful to the person giving the advice. But what it sounds like to the child is, you're not the person you should be. Try harder. What a heavy burden to carry. Such words don't raise us up at all because they've shackled our hope to our performance, not our identity. When you come to see that you are a Christian, not because of your new behavior, but because of your new birth, then you finally stop trying to be a Christian and start living as a child of God. I believe, you know, multitudes of Christians are still waiting to start living as a child of God. The stream of words that they have been continually fed on speaks to them too much about what they need to do in order to become. What the child of God is hearing is, you're not enough yet. You're not ready yet. And then we wonder why our churches are full of people who seem to have been there for decades, always learning about, but never maturing into the liberty, the authority of the Son of God, 
people for whom the gospel once was so simple, what God did for me in Christ, but has now become so complicated by what we need to do for him that they never feel qualified to share it because it doesn't feel like good news anymore. It feels more like good advice. And who am I to be giving good advice to people when I look at my life? You need to be properly qualified to give good advice, don't you? So I better keep working, I guess, on my own life before I can talk to others about theirs. You see, if the stream of words that a congregation is sitting under is continually feeding them a message of who they could be one day if they just tried harder, prayed more, gave more, sacrificed more, but never declaring to them who they now are in Christ, then what is being raised in that church are workers for the kingdom, but not sons in the kingdom. That's not what Jesus died for. The gospel doesn't call Jesus the firstborn among many workers, but rather the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit does not cause our hearts to cry, manager, employer, but Abba, Father. John Bunyan said it best nearly 400 years ago. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. The difference, you see, between these two streams, law and gospel, is so important to understand because if you feed Christians from the law stream, you bring a level of self-consciousness that prevents them from growing up into the liberty, the privilege and responsibility of sonship. Although they're co-heirs with Christ to all the liberty and authority that goes with the life of a son of God, they remain, in the words of Paul to the Galatians, under the tutorship of the law, living by a list of do's and don'ts. You know, when a child is an infant, it can only handle a certain diet. You know, Paul did in his letters issue instructions on what believers in those churches he planted should and shouldn't do, but he knew the reason he was still having to speak to them in that way was their spiritual immaturity, their lack of growing up in the revelation of who they already were in Christ. That's why the pattern of all his letters to those churches is to begin by addressing them as who they were in Christ, irrespective of their behavior. And that's why none of his letters are addressed to the sinners in the city of such and such, but rather they're all addressed to the saints, to the sanctified in Christ. Even in the case of the Corinthian church, where there was gross immorality and divisions in the church, Paul knew their greatest need was for them to receive the right stream, the view and opinion of the Father on who they were in Christ, born from above to live from above, not to be spoken of as mere men and women. You know, Paul had so much of that stream of revelation of the Father's view of who they were to feed them. But much to his frustration at times, he found himself having to speak to them as spiritual infants who could take nothing more than a list of do's and don'ts. Listen to how he expressed this truth to the Corinthians. These are his words taken from the beginning of 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Can you hear what he's saying? You're behaving like mere men, but that is not who you are in Christ. You know, today, I guess, if we wanted to say to someone that their behavior is falling well below the accepted standards of humanity, we'd normally use a phrase like, they were behaving like animals. But Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says to Christians, you're behaving like mere men. He knows that the life we have in Christ is so far and above 
what our natural senses or experience alone can see, that only by the Spirit opening our eyes can we begin to live from that exalted position. And living from our life in Christ gives us such a heavenly perspective on our lives and indeed the worth and value to God of every life that to live from there, to live from gospel rather than law, in the words of John Bunyan, that's the difference between walking and flying. Feed Christians a stream of law and their lives will never fly, never transcend their natural senses. They will never see who they already are and the enormity of what they already have. That in the words of Paul to those Corinthians, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. All things belong to you. This is how the gospel stream works. How it in the words of the apostle Peter delivers you from the corruption that is in this world through lust and allows you to be a partaker of the divine nature. When you really begin to believe in your heart that all things belong to you and you belong to Christ, then the lust that is in the world, that is the earnest desire for the things of the world, things that you think will bring you the high life, they no longer can get a grip on you because why would I lust after what is already mine? See, Jesus was so rooted and grounded in his identity, his life as the beloved son of God, that he didn't feel the need to do anything to grasp that life. That's why the temptations of the world and the devil had no power over him. For when you know who you are, you don't need this world or your performance in it to tell you who you are. Now that's worth saying again. When you know who you are, you don't need this world or your performance in this world to tell you who you are. Listen to the words that fed Jesus in the desert for 40 days. Words he heard at his baptism in the Jordan just before he went into the desert. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Those words were said over Jesus before he had done one miracle. They were a beautiful stream coming from the Father and his life flowed from the Father's view and opinion of who he was. The life of Christ in his body can only flow from that same stream, the words of the Father telling us who we are. We don't resist temptation because we're trying to become someone. The most powerful weapon against the temptations of this world is knowing who you already are. Christian, you don't need the world or your performance in it to tell you who you are. We have been given the very Spirit of God who testifies continually with our spirits that we are the children of God. Listen to that full verse again in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now that suffering Paul is speaking of is not because the life of a Christian is suffering to become like Christ. It is suffering because you are like Christ and the life of Christ in this world always suffers the rejection of this world and perseveres in it, compelled by love to suffer rejection in order to remain a light shining in the darkness, a stream in the desert. The apostle Paul worked tirelessly to keep the stream of teaching flowing to the churches he established to be new covenant realities, that believers in those cities would be rooted and grounded in the truth that anyone who is in Christ is not becoming a new creation, but is a new creation in whom the old has passed away and all things have become new. He knew that to start to mix the law in with that message would be like trying to teach a bird to fly while nailing one wing to the earth. The more as a believer I'm striving to make a name for myself, the more obvious it becomes that I don't know my real name, an accepted and beloved son of the Father. 
I believe that the Father's perspective on who we are in Christ is so far above and beyond what our natural senses can discern that indeed he was right to say that his thoughts on us are as high above ours as the heavens are above the earth. So I've been saying that the Father's words to us are like a life-giving stream that causes us to mature into oaks of righteousness, the children he sees us to be, his children. And we have said that his vision for us is so high that it grieves the Spirit of God for us to live like mere men, to live anxious, self-conscious, selfish lives. Some time ago, I began to think about what that difference must seem like to him, the difference between us living as his children, as those born from above, co-heirs with Christ, and us living as mere men, seeing and knowing nothing beyond what our natural senses and experience tell us. And as I thought about that, I remembered stories I'd heard of children being found who had been abandoned as infants and brought up by dogs. And when these children had been found and rescued some time later by people, they were found to be living and behaving like a dog. Now, these cases were always extremely distressing and disturbing, especially for those finding these children, because there's some, something fundamentally shocking about seeing children who think that they are dogs. What grieves us is that we can see that the life they have settled for, the life they are living, is so far below who they actually are and the life they were destined to live. Now, that was the passion and the grief that the Apostle Paul felt in his heart, the grief of the Holy Spirit. When he wrote his letter to the Galatians, believers who had begun this beautiful life in the Spirit, a life of union with God, but were now going back to the flesh, the separated from God life, the life of doing to become religion. Paul told them that they were estranging themselves, distancing themselves from the grace of God, his very life. For what enables us to live this life as a child of God is not our life for him, but his life in us. Now, as we saw last week, the gospel is not a message about you making heaven your home one day, but about God making us his home today. Don't live your life trying to become someone. Live from the stream coming from your father, whom he declares you to be, not because of what you've done for him, but because of what he has done for you. To live from the father's view and opinion of you, his doxa, his glory, is to live from Christ's what is the Father's view and opinion of you? Christ and Him crucified. His opinion of you is that you are the one He has withheld nothing from, not even His own Son. You're the one to whom He proclaims through the gift of Christ, See, you're always with me, and everything that I have is yours. To live from your union with Christ is to live from a sanctified life, a righteous identity. It's to start from there, to let Christ's life, His righteousness be the root of everything in your life, the place from which you think of yourself, so that your thoughts of who you are, your thoughts of yourself, your thoughts of Him, they're thoughts that fill your mind and inform your actions and your words, thoughts that are God's very thoughts on you. Christian, if you still insist on living from the identity of sinner rather than saint, then you are in fact insisting on living too much in your own strength. You think it's a sign of humility to think of yourself as a sinner. But as we said before, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The biblical way of thinking of yourself less is thinking of your life in Christ more. I'll say it again. The biblical way of thinking of yourself less is thinking of your life in Christ more. Which is why the Holy Spirit wrote, Set your mind on things above, not on the earth below. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Think of your eye life, your life as a sinner to be dead, 
for that separated life, that separated from God by my sins, but trying my best to get closer to him by sinning less, life died. Do you know why he put it to death? Because that me, myself, I life was too self-centered, too selfish, too fearful to live life to the full. For you can't know the joy of living if you live in constant fear of being separated from life, death. Hebrews 2.15 tells us that this was the very reason Jesus took on flesh and blood and died to set us free from what had enslaved us all our lives, the fear of death. Just think on that for a moment. Jesus came to set people free from the fear of being separated from God. Yet the fear of being separated from God is one of the earthly-minded church's favorite tools to control congregations. <laughs> Let me use a farming analogy that I heard recently. In many places across the world, it's normal for shepherds to use fences to control the movement of sheep to restrict their liberty. But there are still some parts of the world where fences are not used. Wells are used. The shepherd sinks a well that brings up such fresh water that the sheep, when they get the taste of that water, they never wander too far away from that well. If you have a good well, you don't need fences. Churches or ministries that use fear to control people's behavior have had to start using those fences because the water coming from their well doesn't taste good enough to keep their folk from turning back to the world. That's usually because their gospel is so leavened with the old covenant that each week it is effectively pointing people to themselves and demanding that they do more for God rather than pointing people to Christ and what he has done as sufficient for all their needs. Their problem with a message that points to you is that that's the same water being served from all the wells of this world. Monday to Saturday, this world is saying to people, your life doesn't measure up. You need to do more, earn more, achieve more, buy more in order to save yourself from being separated from real life. And then they go to church on Sunday looking for living water and they get the same earthly message, dressed up in scriptural clothes. It usually sounds like, here's seven things you need to do to live the Christian life. The problem with always telling your children that they need to do better is that what they're actually hearing every week is, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. What that message does to believers is to speak to them as if Christ and Him crucified changed nothing. Certainly not them. You know, yes, under the old covenant, you could say to God's people, you're not good enough. Here are some sacrifices that will cover that. But under the new covenant, the most important thing God's people need to hear and never stop hearing is not, you're not good enough, but rather, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Preacher, that old you life that you keep preaching at every Sunday, God killed and buried. And all you're preaching at it and keeping speaking to it every Sunday, all that's doing is raising it back up in the minds of your hearers. Keep doing that and there's a great danger that your congregation will believe you. And having begun by the power of the Spirit, they'll now try to start finishing in the flesh what the Spirit completed. In other words, they'll start to live as people separated from God and His blessings. That's how religion pays for itself. It separates you from Christ and then charges you to get back. As long as you're trying to establish a name for yourself through the way you live your life, you will struggle to submit to accept the name God has for you. I guess some of us are so determined to establish our own name that we cannot see that the more religious we have become, the deeper the hole we have dug for ourselves. For as Paul declared to the Galatians, trying to establish your own righteousness doesn't raise you closer to heaven. It only estranges you from the grace of God. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Here's the good thing about being in a hole. The only way is up. God's way of raising us up has never changed. It is to call us by our eternal name in Christ. 
Should unbelievers come to a consciousness that they're living in the darkness of separation from God? Absolutely. But how is someone to know what darkness is if they've never seen the light? How are they to know what separation is if they've never seen union? The church is God's chosen light in the world. He wants her to be a shining manifestation on the earth of what union between man and the Spirit of God looks like. He wants us to be so conscious of our union with Christ that our faces shine in the dark, that irrespective of the trials and tribulations of this world, people can see in our faces, on our lives, the peace of God because we are continually in thanksgiving because of the awareness of his presence with us. There is a stream that makes glad the city of God. It is the stream of words from the Father's mouth. Truth, life coming from the Father. Only his words can impart a revelation of identity that transcends our earthly performance and gives us, imparts to us, the life of a perfectly loved son. Church, if we want the world to see the perfectly loving Father, the one we say so loved the world that he gave all he had, then we need to start living as perfectly loved children. For only a perfectly loved son can live a life that reveals a perfectly loving father. Only knowing the father we never knew causes us to be the children we never knew we were. When you come to see that you are a Christian, not because of your new behavior, but because of your new life, then you can finally stop trying to be a Christian and start living as a child of God, God the Father. So happy Father's Day. Now that you know your Father in heaven is so happy about what Jesus did that he's not looking for you to add one thing to it except your thanksgiving. God bless you.